Hi, everybody. Welcome to Socially Unacceptable. My name's Chris Norton. I'm the Managing Director of Prohibition PR. I'm here with William Ockenden, my business partner. And this week, we have got so much to cover. This this podcast is probably one of the most exciting podcasts we've done, and it's an interview with Josh. And Josh um, Lakovic is uh, the MD and founder of a growth agency, but he has some fascinating insights on how to grow even today after iOS 14 on Meta and, and make your business grow. But similarly, he's got some really interesting insights into failing and a business that's failed. And he's been through that. He's been through the spike of the pandemic to the drop after the pandemic. So honestly, this is probably one of the most interesting podcasts we've done. So be, be sure to watch the rest of it and uh, let us know what you think in the comments. So what would you tell your 20-year-old self today if you bumped into yourself? In general, like, I'm, you know, I think take your opportunity when it's there and say yes to all the stuff and you lean, lean into it don't be scared of failing as a creative agency or rather you know a creative integrated agency it's really refreshing to hear actually creative is down to the quality creative rather than just technical nows that's going to get consumers engaged and and also don't have really complicated structures and targeting because that doesn't work anymore which is let's face it the way that it was being done 18 months ago and it was working brilliantly then overnight it just didn't work as well but you're an entrepreneur and you're fighting to keep the company going right that's that's what we do as business owners from your perspective how did that feel personally was there a sense of relief did you did you feel failure i hope i'm allowed to swear on this podcast welcome to socially unacceptable from ups to fame the marketing podcast that celebrates the professional mishaps mistakes and misjudgments while delivering valuable marketing and life lessons in the time it takes you to eat your lunch Hi everybody, welcome to Socially Acceptable. Um, this week we've got a very exciting guest, Josh Lakovic, uh, who is a growth agency founder of Ampfora, um, which is a creative growth agency. And we've, we're, we're re- Will is joining me in the studio again this week. Hi Will. Hello there. Are you looking forward to speaking to Josh? I am actually, and, and um, I, I won't go into it in too much detail, but um, Josh has got some really interesting things to say about failure, which I'm looking forward to digging into, and also wine, which I'm a massive fan of. Yeah, wine. There's there's lots to get into here, and the first question was, so uh, you know this this podcast is all about ups, and our technology is up three times this morning, this afternoon already. So let's get into it. Um, I want to ask you. So the, the question I want to ask you is, what is a growth hacker? What's a growth specialist? And has it got a bad rep? Because agency owners like Will and I are getting a lot of messages from growth hackers who tell us that we can have 10 customers next week if we just sign up tomorrow what so what, how do you guys how do, I, you, how do you approach it josh yeah first of all i i get a load of those um those those invites as well and i'd say you can ignore most of them um no first of all actually thank you for having me on it's a real pleasure to be on and looking forward to chatting about failing as much as possible today <laughs> uh in answer to the growth question growth isn't just a modern name for marketing as i think a lot of people have kind of thought it might be and it's got a bit of a bad rep because of that growth as a discipline started at facebook and really combined a few elements Mm. one of which was this experiment driven approach to running things so everything was about scientific experiments you create hypotheses around how something will work you 
put a test together you test you put a test in a small part of your audience and get some results and data and then if it works you roll it out to your wider your wider um set of users part of it was about that part of it was this data very heavy data side of it which you know you had big data science teams kind of impacting on growth uh, in general and then the kind of third part was really about thinking of how this user psychology element played in like understanding why people did certain things kind of what type of uh things people were using platforms for and building platforms for those people so for us growth is about that it's about bringing together a process uh this experiment kind of culture lots of data and analytics and user psychology and we apply that to our kind of core marketing channels which paid social for example is one of our core ones yeah, and I think we'll dig into paid social in a moment. So do you want to talk to us about the type of clients you work with? Is it agencies or do you actually work with you know brands directly or a combination of both? Yeah, it's all brands directly. They're mostly consumer businesses, all startups, kind of series A type level startups. Um, so a couple of the big names or the bigger names are people like Dishbatch, who are a restaurant meal kit. Um, we work with Thriver who I used to work with years ago internally and became a client when I started the agency. And then smaller companies who are, are much newer, people like Mother Root, who are uh, F&B, non-alcoholic F&B brands. So, yeah, mostly consumer businesses, startups quite early in their lives who are growing digitally. And um, I guess this is a bit, this might be a bit of a how long is a piece of string question, but is there is there kind of commonalities um, in terms of the sort of challenges they face when it comes to growth, you know, at the point when you speak to them? Or is it um, is it all sorts of factors that potentially limits their growth? It's an interesting world because every founder, if you ask them the question, do you wish you were growing more, <laughs> probably is going to say yeah. yes, um, which, is, which is both a blessing and a curse for people who have a growth agency like I do. Um, so we get a lot of people who might be needing to unlock that next level of growth. They've probably raised a round of funding and been growing quite well, but to be able to raise their next round, need to demonstrate whatever kind of percentage increase that might be. Um, it could be people who've hit a plateau and, and just can't get out of it or are struggling to grow and much lower. Um, so typically people come to us when they want that next level unlocked and understanding what that looks like. Um, you know, I think they are brands mostly growing through paid social. That's our, our kind of core channel offering at the moment. We do other parts of the mix as well. We build landing pages and do retention work and stuff like that. But the core offering is paid social. So it's very much brands for whom that is their main channel. Um, but yeah likely would have hit some type of kind of plateau looking to unlock that next level of growth and we'll probably start having a conversation with us so paid social right okay so i've seen in your Mm. i've seen some notes that i've got down here from my uh uh assistant and it says that you you said something about ios 14 that it was a big opportunity now paid social for those of out there who have been in paid social since it came out or since it's been around it was amazing. Conversion conversion ads were amazing. They were brilliant. They were working great. And then Apple decided to play this little update where the privacy um, got changed, so you had to opt in for advertising. And conversion ads off any meta, um, literally, and I've, I've done the math on this, it is about a tenth of what yeah. it was. So 
why is that a massive opportunity? Uh, why have you put that so massive? Because everybody that I know that's worked a, a lot, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts as well on on the the ad side of it, they they felt that it's really affected. Convert, and I've I've seen it on multiple clients, like where they've it's still there. You could still get conversions from paid social, organic, you know, sorry, digital conversions, um, web, website conversion sales. But it, it, it's a, it's about a tenth, if not twenty, maximum twenty percent of what it was. So, did, did you think that was a good thing or or, or a bad thing? Thanks for listening to the show. We pack it full of information and tips and advice to give you something to take away to your desks. But this little ditty is to remind you that we do real-life events as well. We do webinars, don't we, Will? We do. We do them quarterly-themed. We do about 12 to 15 a year. Correct. They're aimed at senior marketers. They're very value-orientated, aren't they? So they're And they're free! They are free, which is great. They last about an hour. And they're on the, the issues of the day, really, aren't they? We always do a Trends one in January, which is really well subscribed yep. um, later this year for example we're doing one on AI we're doing one on link, next generation LinkedIn use podcasting super practical very very valuable in terms of the content we give they do sell out though don't they so yeah. we, we advertise those on our website visit prohibitionpr.co.uk and click on the events tab they're free you can sign up come along we'd love to have you on board because you know take your phone out of your pocket and and join us on our webinar as well get to meet us that'd be great as I say they do sell out so sign up now <laughs> I think, I mean, first of all, uh, Meta have done a lot to improve that that kind of now. I think when you go back to uh, when iOS 14.5 came out, that first year afterwards was a pretty catastrophic year. Yeah. Um, Meta late last year introduced something called Conversions API, uh, CAPI for short, and that's been rolled out kind of um, uh, much more widely now, so it was earlier last year. And that has definitely closed the gap on some of that data. Um, it's a bit more technical setup. So, you know, historically, Facebook advertising was great for, you know, anyone who wants to go and test these channels out is really cheap to do. So you could install the pixel, no problem. Um, I think the barrier to entry now is higher mm. as a starting point. The cost barrier to entry is higher as well, like the, the era of, you know, your, your local... Um, butcher shop or something trying out some ads to see if it's going to work probably is probably is over um and the bigger players are still spending lots of money like let's let's not um kind of beat around a bush for people who are spending money are still spending a lot of money and they're doing that because they're getting results from it um the opportunity comes from because i think it actually makes all of us better marketers and you know, when I started doing Facebook ads in, I don't know, 2013 or something, it was it was more like PPC. It was more like doing paid search. Mm. Um, you know, it was very much like amending bids and duplicating ads and doing it was quite like hacky, mm. hacky stuff. It was very much like living in an Excel document all day. Yeah. And now it's gone back to first principles. Marketing is why do people do things? It's understanding their behavior, their culture. Um, trying to capture attention in milliseconds of time. You know, that's that's a real big challenge today is how do you capture attention in milliseconds mm. of time? And that kind of takes us to first principles of marketing of really understanding like how to sell stuff, what makes people tick. And as a result, when you get good at that, it's far better for the brands yeah. because the brands know more about their customers. They're going to have far better scale opportunities. 
when they eventually get to doing TV or out of home, they're going to know so much more about their customers because they've been learning so much more. So from my perspective, it is an opportunity. It has also got rid of some of the smaller players on the platform, like some smaller brands aren't advertising now. So you do have that opportunity if you're willing to test and fail, to bring it back to the topic of failure, <laughs> um, nice. while you're learning. Nice then I think, yeah, there's lots of opportunity there. So um, what what I'm hearing is, um, or what I'm assuming you're saying here is, is the focus now more on creative and customer understanding? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, the advantages, advantages you gain from what was once called media buying, or what we now guess what you'd see as media buying, are much slimmer. It's not dead, you know, those are still important. Um, but the impact of those is much slimmer, whereas... You know, our team now, we think more in terms of creative strategists as the heroes of those accounts, more so than the media buyers. Um, and that's kind of, that's going to continue to grow. Like, you know, we'd imagine it go forward two years, it'll probably be very heavy skewed towards creative strategists rather than the media buyers. So ROI then, if we go to everybody's favourite thing on paid social, ROAS, what sort of ROAS was it pre-iOS 14 and what... ROAS, because you're saying now is it's great. I, I like what you're saying there. You're saying basically that the smarter people can still make campaigns work. It is more challenging, but better thought and better application of how people are acting, customers are behaving, will still work. Which is which is true. Which is why it does still work, but not quite as good as before. Is that fair? Yeah, it's. I think. The, the measurement piece has changed as well. Like the, we were very reliant on you know what you'd think of as last click attribution for most of the 2010s. So we would trust that last click that happens, and Facebook would say we got that conversion, and Google would say we got that conversion. Um, you know, you kind of relied on that data a lot more as as a reflection of how your channels were going. You know, what we recommend now is to. No data is perfect. You have to use multiple sources. There's no like single source of truth. You know, look at Facebook data to compare Facebook ads with other Facebook ads. Look at Google data to compare different ad groups with other ad groups. Yeah. But in terms of like measuring channel effectiveness and overall ROI, you probably need to do slightly more complicated measurement than you would have done a few years ago. Um, and so I think the bigger players who can afford to do that, because a lot of it costs money, a lot of it requires large amounts of data, that's why they're still investing in these channels because they can trust they are working. Um, so yeah, the ROI is there. It might not look like it in the platform as much as it once did, mm. um, and it has. It, it definitely is more expensive yeah. to advertise there. But I think the, the the ROI is still there. Just might not reveal itself in the same way. And um, you kind of you, you mentioned you know the, the smaller you know the mum and dad corner shops the um you know the, the local the, butcher yeah the, the smes used to really benefit from from particularly the kind of the acquisition side of facebook ads are you saying that you know it's not for them anymore it's not working for them it's anymore? just for the big boys i mean i guess it's like a, a how how what kind of scale are we talking about i think you know any business that has raised money is still advertising or any consumer business which has raised money is still advertising on there it's it's kind of fine from that perspective for lots of bootstrapped businesses, um, one of our one of our clients is bootstrapped, and you know, spending ten fifteen thousand a month on Facebook, and they've got to that level themselves. Uh, but I think if you go back five or six years, you saw people who might be spending 
a thousand pounds a month or 500 pounds a month on a platform and and getting some results out of that and i think that level now is much harder to do you kind of need to probably need to be in a bracket saying let's commit 5k a month plus yeah. or it's probably much harder to get there so i think that's where where it's dropped out okay should we dig into some of the other social platforms so we've obviously talked about meta um you know we, we see um significant ad spend going through platforms like linkedin um tiktok you know what what's the kind of a your your macro view of that um that market then are, are other platforms delivering uh, sales in a way that's more effective than meta audience is really a bit the kind of determining factor tiktok had a real kind of moment in the sun last year it's was very cheap in the early parts of last year and so we did some of our kind of um clients i was working with directly at the time um had some good success on tiktok last year we're not doing lots of tiktok now and i think it's because most of our clients are advertising to probably like a 30 to 50 millennial kind of bracket um you know we don't have many we don't have any brands who are primarily targeting say you know gen, gen z or, or kind of people in their early 20s that said if you are advertising to that bracket then there's a lot of scope on tiktok it is at that age group cheaper probably than meta to advertise on um potentially not the scale that you have on meta but it is definitely uh, it is definitely cheaper linkedin is a tricky one um you know linkedin first of all only is going to really work for b2b and it is much more expensive than Meta is. And we actually have B2B clients who are advertising on Meta rather than LinkedIn because it's cheaper for them. You know, you have to think about, at the end of the day, a business is a group of people and your buyer mm-hmm. at a business, even if it's a B2B, is still a, still an in- individual. And, you know, I browse Meta and LinkedIn, uh, Instagram all the time and get ads for marketing software and, you know, agency gurus can help 10x my agency i get all those ads all the time um in my instagram growth, feed, growth so. hackers 10 10x your, yeah, I I get, I get your growth. agency today in 30 minutes watch this youtube video yeah yeah i'm just gonna buy their course for 999 dollars down to 10 dollars yeah. and it'll all be fine no, it, by, the, by the end of this um, 24 minutes you, your agency will be worth so I, that, yeah i've got i've got a question okay so what about youtube ads then do you do that or is it just paid social ads YouTube we see slightly differently. YouTube we see less as a performance channel. Um, it's more of a kind of brand channel. And so the types of creative which you need to run on those platforms are, are much more different. Mm. You know, the, the types of ads you're running inside TikTok or Instagram are broadly the types of ads which you would see in your stories or your reels anyway. You know, shot on a mobile phone, quite scrappy, uh, often quite scrappy, um, entertaining um you know, subtitled with native text, that sort of thing. Whereas YouTube still has that slightly higher production value to it. It requires a slightly higher level of storytelling. And um, for us, it's just not a specialism at the moment. Okay. Long term, it absolutely will be. But yeah, for the time being, so, it's not a specialism for us. So Josh, you've, you've talked to us about um, the, the kind of the, um, you know, the barriers to entry being a little bit higher for Meta. Um, you know, there, there needs to be, you know, we need probably bigger budgets, more technical nows. I know that a lot of um, marketers will be listening to this who probably previously did ads on Meta with great success and they might have either reduced budgets on that platform or stopped altogether. Now, what advice would you give for them? Um, you know, should they, should they jump in both feet again? Should they go all in? Should they look at other channels? You know, wh- where, where should they spend their money? 
if you're the type of business which doesn't have people searching for you, which is a lot of startups, like a lot of startups are creating products which people don't yet know they need, um, then something like Meta is still a really good channel for you or TikTok or something else like that. Um, you know, in the old days, it would have been TV, but that's very high barrier to entry. The lower barriers to entries are still things like Meta and they do still work for that. And so I would recommend them. I think the way you manage them is, is much different now. So I would, you know, the things like audience targeting aren't really a thing anymore. Um, you know, all these complicated account structures aren't really a thing anymore. And so actually run things very broad, use your creative as your targeting and whatever your creative looks like, make sure it appeals to your target audience answers a customer's problems like explains how it's going to solve a problem and if you do that you will you will find it working if it's a if it does work for that channel um so yeah definitely don't swear it off as long as you're in that kind of bracket that said if you're a product which people do search for a lot paid search seo are still things i'd definitely concentrate potentially first and then longer term think about paid social but, but you would say because you're right, all the butchers, bakers, candlestick makers out there, they were, you know, spend a thousand, one thousand pound a month on meta ads. Actually, now, if you're doing conversion ads, you need to be spending around about 5k a month and doing what you're doing, which is broad targeting, which is what a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, broad targeting works better than, yeah, because it's just, it went so niche, didn't it? It was really, really targeted and brilliant and, and it's completely reversed itself back out to broad again. So it's interesting. It's interesting. So the creative itself acts as the targeting. You know, pe those people that aren't interested in the creative naturally won't click through. And then I suppose you can retarget them, retarget the people that engaged with that initial creative. Is that something you'd recommend? Yeah, exactly. So Meta specifically talking about that has a new targeting algorithm called Advantage Plus Shopping Campaigns or ASC for sure. ASC has removed loads of targeting capabilities. You can't even target based on gender. So we have ads which are selling products which are exclusively designed for women. And we put them through ASC. And Meta very quickly, within like a day, shifts that budget like 99% female, 1% male. Um, <clears throat> and it's because the targeting, the ads, like talks to a woman. It's, it talks very explicitly about problems that only and actually only certain groups of women are going to be going through and so it finds that audience and within a few days you suddenly see the the ages it's advertising to most of the spends going into the age bracket you expect mm. it's going to the gender you expect if it's kind of country specific it will find that as well but it does cost money to get there because it's got those first mm. few days when it's just showing it to everyone men obviously aren't responding to it and then the flip side obviously is you, you have products on the other side as well um, but yeah, it's all about creative. Interesting, because it used to be that Meta, the, you know, take the few three days for learning and then the learning would happen. Um, but if you look at YouTube ads, for instance, apparently the longer you run a YouTube ad, the better it gets. And it sounds like the broad targeting on the Advantage Plus, like you're talking about there, it sounds like that's what's happening there. It's the same sort of thing. That actually, the, long, the longer the campaign, you're not getting the, the ad fatigue that you used to get. It actually starts performing better. Is that fair? Yeah, to a certain extent, yes. Um, you do still get ad fatigue, but then at the same time, because you've got 
fewer campaigns and, you know, an individual campaign might have, you know, a dozen or so ads in it, which, you know, that could run for months. And so the amount of data in that campaign is massive. And so it's going to be very hard for that to be beaten because it keeps on getting better and better at finding those people. Um, so, yeah, it definitely does have an element of that, which, again, is different to what it was when I was starting advertising, when we'd turn campaigns on and off every hour or two sometimes mm. to, to kind of game mm. the system. So, yeah, it is a lot more similar to YouTube in that respect. Excellent. So we've, we've dived in a bit technical. I want to hear a bit more about your, your history then and what, because we're going to get to your your, your fuck-ups. Let's get, let's get into, so what's your, where, where have you come from? And you started in digital marketing, right? Is that right, Josh? Yeah, I started off, uh, first ever job was uh, SEO and content writing inside a PR agency. Did that for a few years. Hot, was um, that Hotwire? Uh, Hotwire, yeah. yeah, that's right. So I had a job interview, though, years and years ago. Did you have to do the exam? Did you? He didn't get it. No, so it. I managed... I... I didn't know what a dangling <laughs> modifier was, so I didn't get in. Oh, is there? Do I know what a dangling modifier is? Do you know? I was in the actually. It, you know, I, in those days, they had an they had an exam, and it was like a, a thirty minute exam, and there was thirty people in the room, and we we're all going for the same job. And the examiner went out, and I just turned around and went, "Does anybody in here know what a dangling modifier is?" And this guy goes, "I'm doing further English at Oxford." And I don't know what a dangling modifier is. And I, th- I don't know if it was a trick question, but I had to Google it afterwards. But there you go. You, 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 you got it's the job, though. modifier. Oh, I didn't have to see that test, which I'm very happy for because I'd have failed. Um, yeah, so I, I got that job. I was, I was doing kind of bits of copywriting and writing, like, about tech for, like, a few blogs and stuff like that. So I, I originally wanted to be a journalist. That was the first thing I wanted to be when I was, you know, 18. And realised there was basically no jobs in journalism and so started copywriting. Fell in, was always a nerd. So I always like, you know, I built my first computer when I was 10 and I've just been a nerd ever since. Mm. And so digital marketing seems like gel this like nerdy, techy stuff with this writing stuff together. And that totally. was the job at Hotwire was really learning about SEO, um, you know, learning analytics and GA and all that data and stuff like that. Uh, did that for a few years, got a taste for startup life because i really enjoyed kind of the startup culture of some of the companies they were working with went to packed coffee uh which was just before they raised their series a small team so went from an agency of 200 down to a team of 12 um did print marketing there so like a completely different channel print Mm. marketing inserts magazine advertising stuff like that then went to a comms and kind of producty role inside an education group which is a completely different shift again uh did that for a few years kind of took a basically built a website for this business started selling these online courses which was years before covid they probably would have done much better later on and then went to join thriver which is a health tech where i joined as their first employee and head of growth and that was 2017 and that was probably the real kind of start of that period of my career when over the three years I was there, I kind of learned more in three years and you probably do in 10 years in most businesses. Um, yeah, they, when I joined, it was just the founders and myself and they had about 500 customers. And by the time I left, it was a 55-person team, 100,000 customers acquired, um, which myself and the team, the team I'd kind of put together had been responsible for that. So I learned lots there. 
then went and launched my own startup. So had the bug, wanted to be a founder, uh, had always enjoyed wine, had done a wine course, thought the way that wine courses were taught was backwards. Um, I wanted to like bring it online and set up Wine List, which started as a podcast, then turned into a newsletter, then turned into kind of video content plus mm-hmm. wine as a subscription. That was 2019. I okay. went full-time on it, Pretty March pandemic. 1st of 2020. Yeah, but I went full-time 1st of March 2020. <sighs> two, two weeks later, <laughs> lockdown started. Okay. That said, was um, that not a good thing? Was that not a good thing? Yeah, because wine, everybody sat well, at home drinking wine? That was... Our numbers did the kind of hockey stick thing. We went from... we were doing, I think we did £3,000 of revenue in February 2020, and in April we did like £25,000, and it was 50000 two months later. So that was basically from, the Ockendons. So they're just ordering all their wine for the, for, for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, wow. So, yeah, it was, it, that, it was that, absolutely brilliant. Amazing. So, okay, yeah. um, so, why aren't you still running it now? Yeah, what happened then? <laughs> Come on, wait. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't mean to trigger yeah, but, you. <laughs> No, no, it's a very, gee, I bet, and, and so it was a good thing, but it was also a real, it, there was a curse to that side of that growth because it's, it was unusual behavior for the market. Like that, mm. that kind of gave this completely different buying behavior where what we were selling, which was online video courses, group tasting sessions and wine sent to you in the post was like the perfect lockdown thing because everyone was at home Everyone was like wanting to learn more. Everyone was drinking a lot more than they were historically. And so it looks like we were doing brilliantly. We went out and raised a load more money, went and hired you know, three more people on the team, rented a warehouse, increased all of our cost base like absolutely massively. Uh, and then the pandemic started to, to filter out and every month restrictions came down. Like our core attention was just just going down and mm. down and down at the same time. And we spent 2021 essentially trying to find, realizing we didn't have what in startup world is called product market fit, um, which is the kind of notion that you've got, you're, you, you've got a, pro- a product which is solving a very large problem for a market which can sustain that, that business in it. Um, and, you know, they say that when you have it, it feels like gravity, it's kind of, you, you know, you can't help but feel you've got it. And it felt like we had it in COVID. And then as the world returned to normal, it became immediately clear we didn't have it. And so that year, we tried loads of different things. We changed a product round. We launched a kind of a, a single serve type portion rather than like a bottle, which went through your letterbox. So like packed coffee, but for wine. Right. Um, we launched like an event series seeing if we can make events work as a thing we went to a more strict like econ model of just selling wine see whether that could sustain itself and then we tried just selling the courses the digital courses as well and basically all of these things just didn't didn't end up working and you know we we were running out of money and tried going to raise some more money but when your numbers been flat for five months after hockey stick the year before it's not a great investor story um so yeah we the business shut down september 21 we were in the middle of a fundraise and just didn't get enough money together to to make the business work so. so i mean there's a lot to unpack there that that feels like fair play to you for sharing that i really i mean that is a really honest assessment and that sounds tough because running a company is tough I, I i feel your pain there so what at what point did you think fuck this is this is it 
we're going to have to shut the doors. I mean, properly far too late, to be honest, than I should have done. Um, the, the real turning point for me was about two weeks before we actually kind of shut the doors. And that was... Um, we were we were supposed to be raising around. Um, we'd had some money kind of committed, or I'd been in my head was committed, what I understood to be committed, yeah. um, which would have been about two hundred thousand or so towards the round. We were trying to raise half a million, and when it got to kind of mid September, and I looked into that portion of money, there's, there was a lot of kind of having and ahhing about when it would be ready and if it would be ready and stuff like that. And that was the moment I thought, okay, I think I think this might be this might be it. Um, and I was at a friend's wedding when I had that call. It was like the morning of a friend's wedding. <laughs> um, so I drank a lot of wine at that wedding. And, um, Get your money's and, worth. Uh, yeah, got my money's worth. And then the following week, yeah, just sat down with all the investors who we had initially and these new investors and said, look, where, where are we? And that following week, it was, a, you know, they, they didn't have the money. And so that was, by that point, we, we were in a lot of debt uh, because we were kind of going on the assumption that at the end of September, we were going to have this money in the bank. Yeah. Um, and there just so wasn't the reserves there. Point. Yeah. They uh, went. So, um, and, uh, so that's when it actually happened. But just to just to add in, yeah. what I think I probably should have done would, you know, I think in hindsight, I probably could have, I think we were probably signs earlier on. Um, it's a really, really hard thing to know, to choose when to stop. And to a certain extent, I, I I took the decision out of my hands and just let the money run out. And I think actually, you know, I think if you're being, if I'll see that again, there would have been signs going, right, actually, do you know what? We've tried these five things. None of them have worked. This business, I needs to be restructured quite a lot. And I probably would have known that three or four months earlier. Um, but but you're, at the time, I kind of... But let, you're an entrepreneur it, and you're fighting to keep the company going, right? That's That's what we do as business owners. We keep... We keep going. We've got to fight the merry fight. I get it. But also knowing when to quit. And, and, and from your perspective, how did that feel personally? Was there a sense of relief? Did you, or was it did, like... Did you feel failure? Um, talk, us yeah. about, talk to us about that. I had uh, one of my early investors who was an angel investor. He was a founder as well. He called me up, I think, the, the following morning. I sent an email out to all the investors on the Tuesday or Wednesday, and he, got, he called me up the next morning. And he said, um, so you fucking done it now. And you realize none of it fucking matters. And it was like the, the best thing I could have heard because, you know, I had all these worries about like, I've lost all this investor's money and mm. all these other things. But that was, that was kind of a really good piece of advice that none of it fucking matters. I hope I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. No, mate, it's um, called Fuck Ups to Fame. I won't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we actually beep it and, out a lot of the time, but don't worry. <laughs> it was um you know that was really important i think the bit leading up to that was the hard part in a way like you know so much of her identity is kind of built into being a founder and being an entrepreneur and you know it's like everyone knows you as this person who's running this business was doing this mm. thing and and you don't know what this unknown is going to be like of beyond there and actually as this investor told me beyond is fine like you've it doesn't matter if you fucked up. Like you've you've le learned from it and go and do the next thing. And um, 
you know, I'm confident if I was ever to raise, do a business that needed to raise money again, he would probably be one of the first checks into that business. Um, now, I've chosen not to go and do a business that needs to raise money again. But yeah, I think it was hard in that moment leading up to that decision. Actually, once the decision had been made, it was probably more relief after that moment. The tension was for the months leading up to that point. And that, that point you mentioned, actually, about your identity being tied up with, with you know, with you being a founder, that's that's fascinating. And I suppose that is another factor that, that, that gives you more fear of the unknown, isn't it? You know, you, you're seen as this person. What have you got? If this ends suddenly tomorrow, where does that leave you? Yeah, I think I, I've probably known I was, you know, I've, I've probably wanted to, I don't know, since I was a kid, like I always like sold stuff. I was always a person who like bought stuff at car boot sales and sold it on eBay in the early days and stuff like that. So like I've always had this entrepreneurial side in me and just the thing which I've sold has changed a lot over over my lifetime. And so I think one of the saving graces I had was while wine has always been a really big passion of mine and remains a big passion today, it wasn't like my it wasn't like my life's purpose to become a wine founder. Mm. It was like my, my life's purpose was to become an entrepreneur. And it just happened that my first big venture was trying to do this wine thing. You know, I think for people who you know might kind of go down their passion route completely, and then if that business fails, it's probably an even bigger knock for those people because it's not just like their identity as a founder but it's their identity as like their, their whole life is about this thing whereas my whole life isn't about wine as just a large part of it so yeah there's multiple levels to it but I was probably quite lucky in that respect as well and um just a final question on that um let's assume lockdown didn't happen would that mean your business wouldn't have seen the growth and you may have given up or would you have had more organic steady growth and you'd still be uh, a founder today what have you thought about that do you know, I have actually. I, I think it'd be interesting. Um, Gradual growth, you mean, like rather than the hockey stick, it just like a normal business that's starting out grows well, organically, like a profitable, yeah. Good business and it's, start, and it, and like and it's, going, it's going like that, you know, like the line's supposed to go yeah. up, up the x and y axis properly. Do you think it'd still be there, or was it because you had such quick growth, like Will says? I think I was like I was searching for that then and you know I think I I'd just been in a business which went from 500 customers to 50,000 in the space of 18 months or two years or something like that and you know I, I enjoy that like you know my my career in marketing I've enjoyed making things grow really fast like I like it I, I do just like it and it's a you know I get a good kick out of it so I think I, I, I would always been motivated by the fast path to growth but I think the business potentially could have taken a very different turn because if we'd gone for a few months without that growth, that would have been the signal that we need to change quicker. Mm. And we'd have done so without the overheads of we've got an eight-person team, we've got all of this stock, we've got all of this warehouse space, you know, all this stuff which meant we were losing money every month, yeah. which we took on to meet the demand we'd kind of hit. I think potentially we'd have had to, the, the space to change direction Um kind of much faster is so it might i don't know it's, it's impossible to say but i think if we did if it was still around it'd be a completely different looking mm. business mm. for sure okay so today then so today for amphora what what do you do now then so how how has that a, a affected your approach to how you do business now <laughs> 
I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a profitable business from day one. Like it's a cash flow positive business. Like I'm not going to take on investment like we did with, with Winelist, um, which has kind of changed that systematically. I still want to grow like fast and big, you know, that's just in my, in my DNA, I guess. Like, um, you know, I don't want to be a boutique small agency forever. Um, I think the, the one thing which has really changed in my kind of behavior, um, or the biggest change I'd say is I've got a much better grip of finances now than I ever had before. You know, I used to rely on a bit of kind of accounting, what accountants would say to me at the end of the day and what an ops person would say to me and what a growth person would say to me or in all these different people in the team, I would kind of listen to that rather than really dig in myself. And that was, that probably cost me a month's runway ultimately when I was doing wine lists, like without knowing that. So you know, I probably on an almost daily basis know what our bank balance looks like, knows what our cash flow looks like. Um, you have to. I like live and, live and breathe it. Yeah, I know. So, well, I wish you told me that four years That's ago. the common theme. We've, we've heard that from a few people. Yeah, a lot of founders. Yeah. That, and the, 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 I hope this is a cathartic experience for you as well, because it, it is for me talking about these things. Because we, as I, I know, so there's some of the things you've talked about there are fascinating, like the fact that you've never taken funding. So Will and I, Neither have we. We've never taken any any funding for our business. And actually, when you talk about raising funding for growth, I can. I've, we work with a lot of consumer brands here, and I can. They need to grow, and then when they need to grow, you have to raise funding. I've never been through that process of having to go to angel investors. What What was that like? Did you feel like you were standing in front of Stephen Bartlett and you having to do the Dragon's Den thing, or was it just write a formal proposal? This is what growth we've seen. This is where we're at. This is what we project, and please give me some money. It's it's a real mix, um, and actually, you know, this is something which I my clients now find very useful. But I know this process, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm able to, I've been able to talk about what the marketing is doing, what the growth is doing, but then also be able to like provide that context for what investors are going to look for. So that is something which I think has been useful for them. In terms of like, what it's actually like, though, you know, um, some of it is like going in front in front of Dragon's Den. Um, some of it is super casual. Like I went for a lunch once with somebody who was somebody I'd done a partnership with in an old business and he'd been a founder and I was just saying, look, I'm going to do this thing. What should I do? You know, how, how would you go about it? And at the end of that lunch, he said, I'll put 5k in. Uh, and I hadn't even paid for lunch. So I was just like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that's what this was. So maybe this is going <laughs> to be good. easy. Um, I'm not going for lunch for you. That's and for then, sure. <laughs> if it five five k investment every time, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, I mean it was great, and but, you know then you would also have people who, you know, whether they were doing it consciously or not, really liked grilling you, and you know seems mm. to kind of really, yeah. you know, oh, what's your five year forecast? It's like we're we're a three month old business, like. I, I can show you a five-year forecast, but it's dragging the spreadsheet just fifty rows to the right. Like, if you really want me to do that for you, I can. You know, so it's a guess I think some people really it? enjoyed it. It's a, it's, yeah. it's an educated guess, is what it is. At that point, yeah. well, until you've so, got a couple um, of years. Yeah, it's, it was it was a mixed bag. Some people super friendly. Some people like liked being pitched to, and some people really grilled you. But for the most part, it was a pleasant experience. And so um, you talked yeah. about the business. What what is the one big fuck up that you made at any point that you felt was the the mistake a big the biggest mistake you made or 
Was it just that gradual thing? Because that sounds to me like the, what, what you've described here is more circumstantial. It, it, I don't class that as your fuck-up. I class that as you were you you got ex- exceptional growth. And I've got a, a few clients that had that as well. Exceptional growth at a period of bizarre times. And they've people are try- everybody went online. We've, I've got a number of online clients. And they had exceptional growth. And then it just went back to normal. And, and so you haven't fucked up there. It, was, was there anything you did feel that you did make a big mistake with i think i think the fuck-ups were you know the on, entrepreneurs like have to be optimistic right like we have to be we have to believe that a we have some ability to make something good like that is an optimistic trait and you know you have to believe that despite all of the crap which is thrown against you and most businesses all the data tells you both businesses are going to fail on average like every business on average is going to fail um entrepreneurs believe that they are they're one in a hundred or one in five or one in 20, whatever those numbers are. Mm. And so by nature, we are optimistic people. Um, and that was, that, that's part of that problem, which kind of falls into that. Like when things were good, I didn't sit and question why they were good. I didn't sit and question whether they'd be good forever. I didn't do that kind of, okay, let's think about this three to three to six to nine months in advance. I just kind of let it be good. And, as it started to change, as a result, you know, things don't change overnight. It's not like one day our acquisition costs went up by 10x or retention went from 60% down to 10%. It didn't happen overnight. It was gradual. And so, you know, the first month that happens, it's within a margin of error. And the second month, it's within a margin of error. And then the third month, it's like, oh, it's it's January, so it's dry Jan. That's where people are doing it. And then before you know it, your retention is 60% down to 40%. And that's like, that's a, trou- that's a troubling thing. And so, you know, the kind of not let, not kind of questioning that early enough. And, mm. you know, I didn't speak to enough customers and I, that was kind of part of the thing. It took me too long to adapt when that did change. And, you know, people talk about pivoting in startups. Like I pivoted within the realms of an educational wine product. And actually what I should have really questioned was, do people want an educational wine product? And the answer was almost certainly no. Like, if you asked 100 wine drinkers, do you want to know more about wine? 99 will say yes. If you ask those 99, will you spend an hour a week learning about it? It'll be less than one. It'll be like one out of 99. And our business required it to be like 20 of those 99 mm-hmm. to be able to be right. the business we wanted to build. So, so, so there were just questions it, which I didn't ask you, myself. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you met yourself 20 years ago today today what's the what's the big one piece of advice you'd give you because obviously you you were a keen and eager young man ready to and you love growing and you're you're a positive person so what would you tell your 20 year old self today if you bumped into yourself i'd say you don't need as much security as you think you do. I think I waited a long time to start a business because I was worried. I had a lot of anxiety around, you know, what what I needed. When I started Wine List, I, I worked up until the day, I the week before I started it, I was still working at my old job. I raised money around my old job um, because I don't didn't have, you know, loads of money in the bank. You know, I don't have kind of family money or anything like that to, to like take six months off and work out what I want to do. Um, but like I didn't start a business around and have a job properly because I was scared that you wouldn't be able to do it or a boss wouldn't like it and I'm sure lots of bosses wouldn't like it but like you know I think I'd have I'd have said kind of 
try and shake shake that fear a little bit earlier than you did because I was I don't know what twenty late twenties or something when I until I kind of finally took that plunge and probably could have done it you know a few years earlier. Um, so yeah, I think kind of but in general, like I'm you know I think take the opportunity when it's there and say yes to all the stuff and you really lean into it. Don't be scared of failing. Um, yeah. And, and on that, so kind of just summing up then, lessons in failure, what, what I'm hearing is um, know when to quit um, rather than sort of stringing something along. You know, realising it doesn't really matter. Um, if, if, if you yeah. do try something, it fails, your whole identity isn't necessarily bound up in it. And kind of knowing when to pivot and pivoting decisively, is that, is that fair in terms of kind of lessons in failure? Anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, keep on keep on talking to customers. They'll tell you more than you'll get from any spreadsheet. Uh, and I think that's easier said than done because you don't want to... People don't like hearing negative stuff. But yeah, if you keep, I think customers reveal a lot and I wish I'd done more of that when I was at Winelist. I think I'd have learned faster. Fascinating. That's good. So... You, you've you obviously just done forty minutes with us talking through your. Fa- who, if you if you were us, who would you next invite on our podcast to tell their story? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there is somebody called Charles Instone, who is the founder of a supplement company called Wild Dose. Um, he's bootstrapped this business. He sort of building in public, I think. And he was CMO for like a CBD company for a long time. Okay. Um, very, very smart marketer and doing really interesting things on, on, with his own brand as well. Bootstrapped. Uh, what, explain yeah. the term bootstrapped. You've used it two or three times today. Sorry, sorry this, this is, is this startup, startup jargon. Term, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Bootstrapped is, is meaning you haven't raised money from anyone. So, you're you're doing it f- by pulling up your bootstraps and going and doing it manually the old school way. Um, it's probably quite derogatory in many ways, but I feel it's just become a it's just become a term okay. now. And, yeah, I've not heard that. Um, I've learned something today. Yeah. It's good. I'm big in like the, the indie hacker community. Um, have you got? Yeah, I was just going to say, have you got? Um, do you want to? Uh, where can where? people? Where can people find you online, Josh, if they want to speak to you about what you do? Um, so the website is helloamphora.com. Amphora is A-M-P-H-O-R-A.com, helloamphora.com. Um, you can Google me if you can get my last name spelling right. Uh, I'm Josh Lakovic. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Josh Lakovic and LinkedIn as well. It's just LinkedIn slash Josh Lakovic or whatever the LinkedIn addresses are. Um, <laughs> so yeah, helloamphora.com and Ben, those two on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll we'll stick your details in the show notes yeah. on the YouTube and on, on, on the podcast as well, so you people will be able to find you nice and easily. Yeah, so thanks very Perfect. much for that, Josh. I mean, that was that was a little bit different to some of the podcasts we do, but a really fascinating um, story about startup lessons, failure, and then some really helpful technical. Um, I think we're going to get a lot of interest yeah. in this this pod. To be honest, it was really, and thanks for sharing and being so honest and. Um, yeah, really, really, really interesting, and great, to, great to meet you yeah, properly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. There was, was a real pleasure. I, I really appreciate that. Well, Will, that 
to me, is the best podcast we've done yet. And I'm not saying that because me and you were brilliant, which obviously we are. And no, no discredit to any of our previous guests, <laughs> w- worth yeah. mentioning. Thank you for everyone that's appeared on the show so far. <laughs> yeah, and, and thank you for listening. But I just thought Josh was so honest with everything that he had to say about failing and being an entrepreneur and having a, buzz, a business that's, that's, that's struggled for various reasons it was it was fascinating wasn't it? it it was and fairly unique circumstances actually to to how the business grew and um eventually closed and i think the other side of it was he brought real value to our listeners in terms of some of that technical um ads focused activity so yeah absolutely fascinating and i think certainly from a meta ads targeting perspective um you know it's been fairly turbulent the last two years hasn't it so i think a lot of marketers will be listening to that with interest oh yeah there's so many marketers out there struggling with paid social since since ios 40 it's why i opened with the question on why he felt it was an opportunity i just don't i haven't seen the opportunity it to to make it work it still works but it, it is so much tougher but his attitude to it is was was refreshing and quite interesting to to hear and as a creative agency, or rather, you know, a creative integrated agency, it's really refreshing to hear actually creative is down to the quality creative rather than just technical nows that's going to get consumers engaged. Yeah, don't just do it. And, and, and also don't have really complicated structures and targeting because that doesn't work anymore, which is, let's face it, the way that it was being done 18 months ago and it was working brilliantly, then overnight it just didn't work as well. And now it's broad, broad, broad and all down to clever, strategic creative and how people act what are the, what is the customer going to do i also thought it was interesting about when he was mentioning the um the advanced plus targeting where it picks out using ai obviously ai comes into every podcast for some reason that we're doing at the moment um that it then decides where that audience is i thought that was interesting because it never used to be that way and that's a seamless plug for our um, podcast two episodes ago with andrew bruce smith that really dug into the role of ai in marketing yeah AI. well we're going to be covering it again because obviously it's massive mm. but andrew's uh, podcast was was interesting so check that out with the interview with andrew bruce smith but yeah josh had some fascinating things today uh, that he covered definitely have to get him back on the show and if in like a year's time or something find out where he's going because gr- growth hacking is an interesting area and he definitely had some interesting things to say yeah absolutely Well, um, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to Socially Unacceptable. Uh, Thanks for listening. And don't forget that we also run a series of free webinars and seminars that you can attend absolutely free. Um, You can find them by Googling prohibitionpr.co.uk and just clicking on upcoming events. It's near the podcast section. You can't miss it. Upcoming events. All free. You can register online. Nice and simple. Uh, Also, if if you want to subscribe to us on YouTube, you can get notified of every video that comes up. If you found this one on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, we are actually available on YouTube and you can find it. You can be notified of every video um, that we do so please do subscribe to us and you can find us yeah on youtube under prohibition pr um yeah and as as always if you've got a uh, fuck up that you've been involved in and you, you want to share with the show and you, you feel that you'd like to share with the world anonymously feel free to send that in and we'll be, do our best to share it with everyone but until next week we'll see you soon thank you very much thank you very much thank you for listening to socially unacceptable Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Prohibition PR. We would love to hear some of your career fuck-ups so we can share them on the show. For more information on the show, search Prohibition PR in your search engine and click on podcasts. Until next time, please keep pushing the boundaries and embracing the socially unacceptable.
Are you feeling overwhelmed by the endless cycle of social media updates? Feeling like you're shouting into the abyss without any true engagement or impact? Imagine if your social media efforts could be streamlined, targeted and effective, where each post you make resonates with your core audience and builds your brand effortlessly. Introducing Social360, our comprehensive social media audit and strategy program designed to turn your online presence into a powerful, engaging and rewarding experience. With Social360, you'll learn how to craft impactful content, engage with your audience more authentically and see all real results in your engagement and reach. If you'd like to find out more about whether the Prohibition 360 is the right fit for your social media goals, then I invite you to use the link in the show notes to book a 30-minute strategy call with me. During that call, you and I will work on your social media strategy and objectives, and leaving it, you will have a custom recommendation for your social media strategy in 2024. So just click the link in the podcast, and I'll see you there.